Hello and welcome to What The Lux with me, Fred Moore. And me, Anand Sharma. Together we lead Matter of Form, brand and experience design consultancy headquarters in London. And this is a podcast that calls time on tired ideas of luxury. And alongside industry luminaries and thought leaders, we explore what truly defines category-leading products and experiences. Last year and into 2022, the world went mad for the metaverse. It was seen as something revolutionary. A whole span of technological and cultural innovation seemed to conflate and confuse in equal measure. Was it blockchain? Was it gaming? Was it ridiculous guerrilla art sold for millions as NFTs? Crypto millionaires were appearing like flowers in a spring meadow. The bandwagon rolled on until the inevitable crash, the puncturing of the bubble replaying a story of human greed and fallibility as old as mankind itself. So the reason we're so excited about this episode is we have on the podcast someone who's going to make all of our lives that much simpler by banning the use of the word metaverse and peeling back the layers of complexity to reveal a simple truth that it is Web3 we should be talking about. And a further truth that Web3 has a very human and practical side in that it is being used within her industry to improve access and discoverability for a luxury product that was previously hidden within the confines of the great auction houses or opaque private transactions. The sublime Charlotte Shaw is Chief Marketing Officer of Blockbar. Blockbar's mission is simple, democratise access to luxury wine and spirits. They partner directly with the world's leading brands to offer exclusive authenticated bottles via blockchain, whilst offering bottle owners storage, insurance, global shipping and a marketplace for resales. Charlotte is also passionate about supporting women empowerment and is named in the Walpole Power List as one of the 50 most influential people in British luxury. Charlotte, welcome to the podcast and thank you so much for joining Anand to myself today. Thanks for having me. Um, firstly, just um, how are you and uh, when? where are you dialing in from? Yeah, I'm great. I'm dialing in from Hertfordshire. I guess before um, Anant kicks off with the questions, I'm just going to make two predictions today. The firstly is that you're going to find an emoji with one of those sort of throttle icons. Um, if I mention the M words, the metaverse word, and you'll make us talk about Web 3.0. And I also predict Anant is going to lecture both of us on the finer points of the difference between augmented reality and AI. But Anant, over to you. I will do everything I can in my power to not go into that. Um, Charlotte, great to have you with us. Can, uh, can you just start by telling us a bit about your background? How, how did you end up in the premium spirits and drinks industry? Yeah, so I've always worked in the luxury industry, started out working for a really boutique luxury PR marketing agency. So predominantly working across retail, fashion, beauty, lifestyle and travel. I mean, everything from launching rural residences in the Maldives to ski chalets in in, uh, San Moritz. So very glamorous. An opportunity came up actually with an amazing family run business called William Grant and Sons. So they own Glenfiddich, Balvenie Whiskey, amongst a number of other spirits brands. And essentially, it was a really exciting challenge to come into the business at a time of change where they wanted to reposition themselves as a luxury player in the wine and spirits industry. So within that role, very much took the the business on a kind of two and a half year journey into luxury, working across kind of PR, marketing and partnerships. It was from there that I met Dove and Sam Fallick, the co-fans of Blockbar. They have an existing relationship with the business through America Duty Free and bought Blockbar to William Grant to say, look, we're launching the platform. Would you like to be our first partner? I was actually getting married at the time and there was so much going on. It was another project that I was um, kind of put onto that I was really excited about. And actually 
before Blockbar came along, I already put a business case to the CMO at the time to say, we have to explore a test and learn with an NFT because this is the future of luxury. And as you can imagine, you know, within a business, everyone's like, what's an NFT? What does this mean? So anyway, cut the story short, I got married in COVID, which is amazing. Came back, launched Blockbar with Glenn Fiddick. Now, I was absolutely like obsessed with this whole opportunity anyway but no one knew how it was going to go and I actually remember on the day of the drop consumers were emailing us saying like is this actually legit and what we had realized is we hadn't actually shared Blockbar's partnership on our brand website and I think the social media team hadn't got the post that quick enough so literally everyone was like all these crypto fanatics were emailing me and I was like yeah of course it's legit no one knew how it was going to go. and uh, But what we did do is we had loads of PR. Like the PR was insane. I think we garnered over like a billion reach. We had coverage, everything from like Forbes to all the drinks trade. Like everyone went wild for it because we were the first first brand to really make a change in it. So anyway, launch happened. I believe the Blockbar team, which is obviously a handful of people at the time, were all in their office in New York at the time of the drop thinking, is this going to sell? Ironically, it sold out within like a few minutes and everyone was going crazy. I was then messaging Dove, who's the CEO and co-founder of Blockbar, because I was like, well, I want to I want to be part of this this business and, and block bar. What do I do? Like I've just worked with them on this project. We, I, don't, I don't know how it happened, but we were texting each other, and then eventually the opportunity came up where I said, "Look, I really want to work with you," and I really believed the future this business had in the industry. And also, I went into William Grant to create a new legacy, and I wanted to create the legacy a new legacy for the industry. And I think by joining Blockbar, I could do that. So they felt the same way. And then that was it. I've been with them ever since. So I've been very lucky to, to pretty much be with them since day one. And what sort of satisfying route into a new role? <laughs> I mean, a real first. I should think you really also on that day confused a lot of people in the luxury industry who just didn't have a clue about what an NFT is. So before we talk about Blockbar and the business model, which is a really fascinating topic, I think let's just get this out of the way. Charlotte, we're not going to talk about the metaverse today, are we? We're going to talk about Web 3.0. And can you just let our listeners understand <laughs> what is Web 3.0? Look, for me, you know, Web 3, it's a new, it's a better internet. Web 3 is using blockchain technology, cryptocurrencies, NFTs to essentially give power back to the users in the form of ownership. When it comes to the metaverse, for me, it's hugely gimmicky. And I think a lot of consumers and brands are getting confused between going into the metaverse, which by the way, we're all in at the moment, even just WhatsApping my colleague in America, I'm in the metaverse, right? It's the internet, but it's in kind of, it's more about digital interaction, 3D form, virtual experiences. Um, But we're doing it now. For me, when I think about metaverse though, or what brands conceive it as, is they think about sandbox, they think about Decentraland, they think about buying land in the digital world, creating digital things that don't exist. But, But what makes me laugh is that Decentraland the other day, there was a research paper done that they've only got 38 active users on the platform. 38? 38, yes. I've been using Decentraland statistics in talks just to say, I mean, it's just such a joke yeah. how few people actually engage. Blockbar's a fascinating forward-thinking concept that challenges nature, not just ownership, but also marketplace. Can, can you give our listeners a bit of context to Blockbar and, and also the concept of digital twins? Of course. So Blockbar was founded just over a year ago by two amazingly talented cousins called Dove and Sam Fallick. They've been in the industry for over 20 years. They're the, the Fallick group own America Duty Free. So they set out Blockbot to solve a number of issues. Now, 
what I'm going to do is describe Blockbar in really simple terms. So we sell NFTs directly from luxury wine and spirits brands, whether that's Moet Hennessy, Diageo, Bacardi, Pernod Ricard, etc. Each NFT corresponds to an actual physical bottle of wine and spirit, which is exclusive to Blockbar. You can't find them anywhere else in the market, which you can purchase with ETH, credit card or wire transfer. As an owner, you can do a number of things. You can resell, collect, gift or at any point burn your NFT in exchange for the physical bottle, which we will ship to you globally, anywhere in the world, subject to local shipping restrictions. We only work directly with the brand owners and we authenticate our products by selling the NFTs on Ethereum's blockchain. Our mission basically is to democratize access to luxury wines and spirits, allowing anyone anywhere in the world to participate whilst offering bottle owners storage, insurance and a marketplace for resales. So our mission at Blockbar is to democratize access to luxury wines and spirits, which means anyone anywhere in the world can buy into fine wines and rare spirits. And this was not possible before Blockbar was established. So, you know, with wine and spirits, you'd have to know the right person at Sotheby's. It's a very um, closed industry. So now we are introducing buyers to brands that had never, ever bought or spent more than, say, $100 on a bottle of whiskey on, you know, when they're out and about in, in the market. So it's hugely exciting. And a great example of this is when we first dropped with Hennessy, the Hennessy 8, which was two bottles at a quarter of a million US dollars, was bought by a crypto community club. And behind that community was 20,000 people. They were just huge fans of, of, of Hennessy. And now they own this, you know, piece of history. The same one is with Penfolds. We sold a cask of Penfolds wine for over, I think, about 125,000 US dollars. And that was born by um, a group of wine lovers. So we're giving them access to products that they've never had access to before. And I think that's definitely creating a new legacy for the industry. Do you see the, the move of auction houses like Sotheby's and Christie's into the Web3 space as a, as a threat? So we always say that, look, we're not here to take business away from the auction houses, but obviously we also run our own auction function. I think, look, for sure, the auction houses will be looking at, you know, what does that kind of uh, Web3 opportunity present to them? The difference that we are versus them is that we don't take products or collections from third parties. Everything's from the brand. So we know that everything's 100% authenticated. Whereas from a Sotheby's point of view, they would take a collection from a third party or a private collector. How can they then, I know they go through different authentication processes, but it's not as robust as we are. How engaged are people in, in the resale side of side of what the platform offers? Yeah, so look, we have over 300,000 active users. We have done a huge amount in secondary sales. A lot of our holders, or we call them bottle owners, are holding on to their bottles right now. As more people redeem, that will then start to really kick off that secondary marketplace because naturally then the bottles will be more scarce. And the reason that will happen is because everything we sell on our platform, you cannot get anywhere else in the market. Something that I find really interesting is that people are really proud of their spirits collections, their drinks collections, and, and having a portable collection that gives you bragging rights or a talking point over, you know, the things that you've chosen to, to house in your portfolio. I think it's like quite interesting. And how appealing do you think that is when people come to you to come, come to Blockbar? Yeah, look, so I think the power of Web3 and obviously with NFTs has made an opportunity for consumers to really show off what they own, right? So you can share it on your social channels. You can share it into the bar. Point being, I might own a really rare bottle of Hennessy 8. I might keep it, you know, in my private cellar at home. 
or storage facility, a couple of people might see it, or we always laugh and say, you know, accidentally, your partner might end up opening it at a dinner party. What it means here is that I can actually show it off to like a global audience. And oh, by the way, to loads of people, what we've just created is a partnership with Infinite Objects, which means even though you have your digital NFT, which you could share across your digital channels, you also could have a physical frame at home where you could put it, you know, you could have it pride of place on your bar so people can see it. They just can't basically touch it and taste it. And by the way, when you do want to taste it, like you're saying, and show off, then you can have it shipped home to your home. So it works in both ways. But I think the whole democratizing access element of it means that you can show off what you own on a global platform. Do you think these people are investors or drinkers? It's a bit of both. You know, we always say that investing in wine and spirits is never a get-rich-quick kind of initiative. Having said that, you know, we've sold a bottle of Remy Martin as a collaboration with Usher. 50 bottles were only ever created, 25 given to Usher to gift to friends and family. The other 25 were sold on our platform, sold out within a second. Um, within two minutes, someone had resold that bottle for 1500 but only bought it for 500 So we know that our audience are traditional or um, crypto natives that are looking to invest in digital assets, essentially. But also we do have uh, consumers that are buying these products because they enjoy drinking. So then therefore they'll have it delivered to the home. And the reason I know that is because they'll share a photo in our Discord channel or on social, pride and place with their bottle of Patron, you know, on their on their shelf at home. So it's a mix, but I'd say we definitely are attracting naturally the kind of collector crowd just because of that utility we offer with the marketplace. Charlotte, do you think people engage more with the story behind the spirit as a result of being able to house it in a digital medium? I think look, our consumers are buying with block bar because they want the physical product which they know is rare it's scarce and it's exclusive in some capacity but naturally the storytelling is really important right yeah look from my point of view i think the the main motivation for our consumers to buy with us is because they're buying an appreciating asset that has naturally performed well say from an investment point of view or it's just the coolest collaboration that you want to have kind of on the back of your bar that's great i think like the consumer benefit has been made really clear and i guess the other question is so what so why would brands use block bra huge benefits to brands i think the first one is the transparency and the direct communication with their end consumer they you know blockchain is so transparent our community channels are so transparent you will know who owns your products from the primary drop to the 10th buyer. And you can trace that. You can look at who's owned your product. You can also engage with them on Blockbar's Discord community. You can see what they're talking about. We host IRL events. You can meet with your buyers. If you go and sell a product, say, and I always share this example, when I worked with Glenfiddich, we sold the most expensive lot. Uh, It was a Glenfiddich 1950s with Sotheby's auction distillers 101 and that was actually December that we that block bar was launched around that time and it went for a million pounds that buyer now we don't know where that lot's gone we don't know where it's stored and and, and that that's it it's done that the deal's done with block bar not only are you knowing who's owning that product once that's been resold but also as a brand you're receiving reoccurring revenue so every time your drop is resold in the secondary marketplace you're taking that five percent royalty payment so Another great example is Sotheby's Glenfiddich. That sold for a million. If that then sold again, you would take another cut from that. So for brands, it's you know direct communication to their consumers. And our audience is a very young consumer. It's Gen Z and millennials. So it's 81% make up our, our audience But from that data set. I read an article that was saying that if their audience right now isn't 
10% Gen Z, they won't survive in the future. Our Gen Z set is 11% of that, of that total set that I told you. So number one, they're speaking to this young consumer that brands find it incredibly hard to target from a traditional one and spirits point of view. And then, like I said, the second point is the reoccurring revenue. No, that's that's clear. When you say young and Gen Z, just to be clear, that is people in their 20s and 30s. Yeah, by the way, over the legal drinking age of 21, of course. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> A challenge for both of you. So my mum trolls me on this podcast and she says, oh, great, great, great. And then sends us a passive aggressive WhatsApp saying I didn't understand that bit. (laughs) Can you both explain to to that point around fraud and blockchain actually stopping that? Can you explain how blockchain makes things simpler and not more more risky or, or less secure? Yeah, exactly. So basically blockchain is a shared ledger that facilitates the process of recording transactions and tracking assets in a network. So each one has a unique code, which means you can't copy it. Now, obviously, in Blockbar's case, once you redeem the physical product, we burn the NFT and essentially then you won't, like, we don't know what happens with that product, but it's it's done. You can't own the physical product and the NFT at the same time. They're interchangeable for each other. So once it's burned, it's done. But until that point, you can always trace it back on the blockchain. Um, So Charlotte, we've spoken about community building and building an audience. Clearly, a lot of the Web3 audience live on Discord. Can you talk to us about your approach to building that audience? Yeah, Discord is so fascinating. I always just see it as like a group WhatsApp chat. We are incredibly fortunate to have an immensely talented head of community at Blockbar called Karma. He has been in the industry way before luxury even probably used the word Web3 or NFT. So he has built an incredibly organic community on on Discord. And what fascinates me is that I'll go in there every day and I can see what our consumers are talking about. I know what brands they like. I know what other brands they want to see on the platform. I can see their feedback. Oh, and by the way, it's so transparent. If you get it wrong, they'll tell you about it. You know, so... For me, it's incredibly powerful. But like you say, it's a certain demographic that are on Discord. It's not going to be your necessarily traditional collector that maybe is with Sotheby's right now. However, it's so powerful. Brands can go in. They can see what they're talking about. I always capture all the chatter and sense of brands because it is so fascinating. Um, But you do need to have the right person managing the channel. And you have to be transparent with everything you do. Great. Can we talk about design quickly? NFTs, are, they're a great chance for brands to push the boundaries of their creativity. So when you're setting a brief for brands to launch a drop, how do you challenge them to think beyond the norms of the physical product? Yes, yeah, so I think that when we design and create the NFT, it is a matched digital replica of the physical bottle. We will work through the guidance of the brand. You know, They will come to us, we'll work with them on concepts. We work with them in two ways. One is the physical bottle. It's it's been produced. It's ready to go. It's done. They work with us then to design the credit NFT and then sell it on the platform. The other way that we work with brands is we will actually work with them on the design concept, any artist collaborations, designing the NFT, and then they would produce it, say, six, 12 months later. But with our technology, it means that we can drop the collaboration on our platform and then we can say to our consumers oh by the way you could redeem it in six 12 months which means that then the brand can be a lot more agile with developing that initial design concept charlotte the first time nft holders do they sort of ring up and ask for some reassurance with <laughs> a sort of process of of like letting them know that it's sort of not going to sort of evaporate without without them doing anything Look, we have an amazing company. You know, our chief of staff, Max, um, absolutely heads that up at the moment and uh, is in daily contact with our with our buyers. And 
you know, one of the things that, you know, we are showing, and obviously as, as a start, if anyone knows this, is, is, you know, to really build the trust with our end consumer. So showcasing, you know, content of our storage facility in Singapore. They know it physically exists. You know, we've got amazing reviews, you know, that our boss owners are leaving us. Um, they're coming to our IRL events. And it's actually a really uh, good example is um, we hosted an event at Sexy Fish with Royal Salute uh, a few weeks ago, Mayfair. And one of our holders came, or our bottle owners, um, that lives in London. And I said, oh, how did you find out about us? He said, oh, you know, I can't remember, but I first came across you and I thought, wow, that's a really interesting concept. I haven't really bought wine and spirits before as an investment. But I thought, you know, I'll buy that and I'll just see if it exists. And I was like, what do you mean exists? And he said, well, you know, because obviously, you know, you know, it's a startup, it's Web3, people are curious. He said, oh, straight away I knew it. He said, and he's basically bought every single drop since. And there he was at our next thing. So it got me thinking as a marketeer, you know, we really have to continue to show and build trust because, they, you know, we've got buyers that are spending kind of 50K up, upwards with us where they really believe in our platform and it's brilliant. You know, we're looking at how we can embed like a live stream from our storage facility so you can see your physical bottle, extra content, you know, from you know our team in the facility that are looking after your bottle. So you really can see what you own. Um, and also, you know, as you start to redeem your bottle, you know it exists and it's all in the right packaging and it's all been looked after. We've got a fantastic um, shipping facility. But it's, it's true, you know, everything we're doing. And, and I think, you know, it's, it, I always say the most powerful form of marketing is word of mouth. And that's a great example of that bottle that came to London that's now telling his friends and his friends and everyone at the dinner how amazing Block Bar is because he's used us, he's you know, received a physical bottle, he's seen what we're doing. But, you know, I think everyone's a little bit sceptical, right, at the start with any, any new platform. You've already talked a little bit about this about the Gen Z but has anything surprised you about Blockbar customers uh, about the demographics or where they're from? I was incredibly surprised about the age. Um, I've been in the industry for a number of years. I always felt like brands especially in whiskey find it very hard to communicate to a younger demographic a younger audience i used to feel like you'd see stuff from other retailers saying oh you know we talk to millennials but i never really got to the nitty-gritty of the stats and i literally am obsessed every day checking our kind of crm our, our website traffic database and data because it just blows my mind that we have such a young audience that are coming on to block bar to really purchase into wine and spirits and it's something that i've never really seen before so that that surprises me and b what surprises me is that they're not always that brand loyal. So obviously the one thing about blockchain is it's so transparent. I can go into someone's wallet or go into someone's collection to see what they own. Um, and they own a number of different brands. So they're buying you know, completely different wine and spirits. But also what fascinates me is that they're telling us that now they're becoming such brand loyalists, say to a Glenfiddich, they're now going out into the entree to a bar and, and drinking Glenfiddich. And that would never happen before. So it's kind of like we're introducing them. What we say, in a nutshell, is we're introducing the younger demographic to what it means to invest in fine wines and spirits and educate them on that side. And we're then introducing the older demographic that are kind of avid wine and spirits enthusiasts into what it means to buy with an NFT and using blockchain technology to really accelerate and improve the way that they're buying into it. It's kind of like educating on two sides. And do they buy more than typically more than one NFT? You know, they serial yeah. offenders. <laughs> yeah, interesting. How amazing. And I guess, look, in, in, is there any specific loyalty program or is it just what you said? It's word of mouth. It's the it's brand love, basically. Or do you actually sort of have any kind of systems in place for that? Or yes, so look, I think it's twofold. The one thing I love about Web3 and also about luxury, right, is being rewarded. So we reward our community in different ways. So special perks, tastings, experiences, in real life events. 
to to our bottle owners and what we're starting to see is now brands are really really investing in building their their kind of cult following on Blockbuster. so great example is this johnny walker bandy the pink release where only existing block bar johnny walker owners will have first access to it so you'll be rewarded that way the second thing is one of the number one objectives when I first came into Block Bar Business was we need to build the world's largest rewards program for wine and spirits. It does not exist. I'm hugely inspired by everything that Harrods has created. And I think they're a great, a great aspirational um, retailer that has done this very well. We're building this out. It's going to launch next year where it's all about reward, um, reward versus spend early access, parks, experiences. We want to build, you know, a money can't buy experience for our top spenders um, next year, where it's this kind of really opening access to closed distilleries, amazing parts and amazing experiences. And it will be tiered. So kind of watch this space on that side. But definitely, and something that we've touched on before for me about Web3 is like all about building that community and rewarding them and keeping them engaged. Uh, I don't think it's similar to Web2, it's similar to like Web two, right? But um Definitely rewarding is really important. And I think another example of that is with the Downmore. So we launched um, and dropped a Downmore 33-year-old. The first 10 buyers of that release were invited to the distillery for a private dinner and a distillery tour. We had bought, all the bottle owners went, number one. And one actually flew all the way from Australia just for this experience because they crave and they really want that direct access with the brands, which they're not getting through other retailers, but they are with Blockbar. And it comes back to that democratization of access. And by the way, when they're there, they want to know if the distillery shop's open. So these are huge fans, but we're giving them this almost like behind the scenes access that they wouldn't necessarily have before. Um, And that's all through rewarding, right? And it's incredibly powerful. Do you ever imagine the future being able to give people bottles they can carry around and, you know, given the right level of interoperability, move between different metaversal platforms yeah look you know we laugh at the start about the metaverse i i've had lots of discussions with the team about this where and i've seen brand alcohol brands have gone into the metaverse and built virtual distilleries virtual cocktail experiences etc potentially there could be a role where block bar would have a space in the metaverse which then could potentially be like a pop-up bar but like we, you know we, we have a block bar house IRL event concept you could take that into a metaverse like a decentralized or a sandbox and the wine and spirits brand could lease your space and host their launch party there after their fashion week that was also held in the same you know down the road on you know the posh road in sandbox which is equivalent of mayfair right so i think there definitely could be a role there but the reason why i tread so carefully is at the end of the day block bar is here to sell wine and spirits we are a global retailer so maybe it's like you're drinking your you know ruinar champagne in the block bar house pop-up bar in sandbox but by the way We'll also send you a physical bottle to your home as well. There'll be some kind of like twinning. Otherwise, I think it's just very gimmicky. And also, you don't know who you're even talking to as an audience there. Do you think most luxury products will have a digital twin in the future? Look, Blockbar's technology and our developers that sit in New York are absolutely world class. Like, it blows my mind. There will be, in the near future, an iteration of Blockbar that will go into the luxury goods sector because there's huge huge opportunities to use the same technology and go into kind of high-end fashion watches handbags etc like it is yeah anything around kind of collectibles it will definitely work presumably it aids the sort of circular economy as well 100 percent, it's hugely powerful and even like watches like i'm personally not in the watch game myself but there's like 
huge investment opportunities there um, and not everyone wants to buy you know a million pound watch and work, walk around with it because it's so high risk but actually having someone to be able to store it for you and then reselling it is, is huge so yeah absolutely and that's definitely a space that we've got a really close eye on as, as a business actually on the um, circular economy point obviously it aids it from that perspective but I guess um, how are you also handling the environmental impact of NFTs and criticism you get around that area yeah look so sustainability for me is something that you know we absolutely are happy to talk about in fact you know everything we do is on the ethereum blockchain recently upgraded to ethereum 2.0 which basically means that now ethereum's carbon footprint is is has improved by 99.95 percent it makes it more energy efficient than many industries we actually say that blockbar's current carbon footprint is outlined to be net positive um, and that's basically due to the minimal shipping of our sales which are needed after transactions so if you think about it, the, the brand owner, i.e. Hennessy, will ship the cognac to officer in Singapore. It will stay there. It could get resold 10 times before it goes to the end, end consumer. It ships once more. So you know, we openly talk about it. But I think there's a huge misconception around blockchain and sustainability when there really shouldn't be. Um, so, yeah, we openly should talk about it for sure. I mean, I get just final question on 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 Blockbar. Um, you've talked about like a, I guess quite an obvious but fascinating application in other verticals and uh, other products. But aside from that, where do you see Blockbar in ten years' time? What's the big plan? How do you encapsulate all this ambition into a sort of succinct summary of where you'll be? We'll probably have opened the Blockbar equivalent for every other luxury goods vertical. We'll be doing another podcast, but. We're a hugely ambitious yeah. team. We've already achieved a huge amount. Even in our first year, we've, you know, onboarded all the world's largest wine and spirits groups, um, and we have huge ambitions. So that that's that that's our end goal um, for sure. Yeah. Can we buy shares? Yeah. <laughs> so Charlotte, I think it's so quite pathetic, really. But Ananta and myself have realised we've been put on this earth really just to moan about the word luxury and how much we don't like it. It's a bit of a theme running through this um, this podcast. Um, so we have to ask, what's the term luxury mean to you? Yeah, and I laugh on that. So when I used to do the PR for Harrods, the word luxury was banned. You could not even use that word in any communication. So I'm totally there with you. Um, look, for me, luxury is all about the experience from start to finish. It's the community you become part of by buying into the luxury brand. And it's the reward and the value you get out of that. So for me, as a great example, and this is actually non-wine and spirits, because also I do love luxury in other sectors, is Louis Vuitton. Yeah. Their experience from start to finish is absolutely impeccable. I will walk into that store. I'm treated like a goddess. I don't have to queue up. The, 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 the sales support, the WhatsApp support, the after-sales care is amazing. Chanel, on the other hand, for me, drives me absolutely crazy. Even though it's got a cult following, the service is rubbish. There's nothing ever available. You don't get any rewards. So therefore, I'm not shopping with Chanel. So when you were asking me this question, that's the exact example that came to mind then. And the second thing that comes to me is the rewards and the value. So I love, as part of luxury brands, being part of that, like, like that community in terms of like cult's the wrong word but it's the community I, i'm not sure it is the wrong word actually i think it's a brilliant word that summarizes what a luxury and inverted commerce brand should invoke amongst its customer base yeah and i think look the second part that i haven't said that for me of course is just literally the foundation of luxury you're paying high high amounts of money for it for a luxury good so you want to know it's got high quality craftsmanship and it's a high quality product right 
but for me that's just that's like a tick the box of course it is like if i'm going to yeah. go and spend 1300 pounds on a pair of boots from chanel i know that it's going to be high quality but for me that what's going to sway between going to chanel and louis vuitton it's the experience and it's the community can we ask or have some comment on um the volatility of cryptocurrency and how that impacts how people purchase? Yeah, it's a great question. Everyone's talking about it. I had a debate with my husband this morning about it um, with the recent crash. And look, we number one, we're not concerned as a business because we're selling an appreciating asset. I, I know I always share this example on Spirits Business, a Johnny Walker whiskey, someone found in the attic for like £900 and it sold at auction for like 15000 So. Crypto wasn't even anything to do with that, but it's an appreciating asset. Oh, by the way, we also sell in US dollars. So for us, we're not concerned because you're buying an appreciating asset. You're not buying into a board ape or a digital piece of art. So for us, it, it isn't affecting our business. We, you know, take back crypto. If something happened to crypto tomorrow, would still be that global e-commerce platform selling and, and buying in USD. Charlotte, just go back to the luxury thing. Um, you partner with luxury brands exclusively, but do you actually, as a really innovative company in the drink space, effectively, do you consider yourself as a luxury brand or a service or as a partner to those companies? Yeah, look, we're a luxury retailer. We are, when we sat, I remember when I first sat down with our co-founder, Dub and Sam, and I can picture it now, we were in a WeWork in London, and I said, right, we've got to build out a robust strategy here. There's three objectives that we need to achieve in our first year. And the third objective, just because of where I'm picturing the strategy, was around the brand owners. And that was for us to be inspiring business partners to our brand owners, to Diageo, to LVMH, etc. And we said, look, we are their extended team. So we've actually become part of their team now. So yes, we're a retailer and we are a luxury retailer. I would also say that we've become part of their luxury team and almost like their in-house team and actually what's happened is they value our expertise and our team skills so much that they, you know, will, for some drops, we would actually take on the whole PR and marketing and the creative development of their team for them on their behalf. So I'd say we do, you know, a lot of re- retailers don't offer that service, but we do. So yes, we're a retailer, but also we're becoming this kind of in-house extended team for these brands to get into Web3. And they're trusting us. And I said to like the co-founders the other day, I was like, this is incredible. Like we're working with, for me, like the best of the best brands like brands like Hennessy that are like top of their game when it comes to luxury and they're entrusting us to run their whole PR marketing on their brand drops and that's amazing and we get such incredible feedback from their CEOs you know the the, the team internally that for me it's like we're just almost like this 360 like partner for wine and spirit so for me we're, we're more than just a retailer yeah it's so interesting because I was going to ask a question um around you know how difficult was it to get luxury brands onto this platform traditionally they're a bit slow to innovate but you just answered it but it's just such a simple proposition for them that clearly you've had no problem relatively little problem getting them all to sign up yeah look and I always say this you know we're very fortunate you know since day one our founders you know own America duty free so they have existing relationships with the wine and spirits brands but that can only get you so far right so once you've done the first drop you have to prove that the business model works we met their KPIs they've received the brand fame the, the new luxury consumer acquisition, everything else that goes into it to prove that they drop again. And actually, um, I did some maths the other day and over 50% of our brand partners have dropped more than twice on our platform. So it shows that we're a sustainable and a scalable luxury partner for these for these brands and now it's a case of like right where do we fit in their business model because you can start to see you know Hennessy 
Perno Ricard, Alviumate are all hiring Web3 experts into their business. So they know and they believe in the future. And what's amazing is, you know, I'm having conversations with CEOs of these brands and they fully believe in the future of blockchain technology for their business. And now it's the case of, right, okay, we're sitting down with the brands and saying, right, what does like a 12-month pipeline look like? Look like? And what I always say to brands is, it's beyond that test and learn stage now. Like we've proven the model, we've proven this appetite from these buyers, we've proven that you're meeting new consumers. It's more about how how can you build this community now? Like, and that's what like a brand like Johnny Walker's doing right really well now that their fourth drops live. So it's now about that long term model. One other thing actually on that is um obviously the the idea of perceived value and luxury is, is a lot to do with scarcity. When you're all sitting together, how do you balance that thing between scarcity and volume? It must be really tough. It's the biggest question and there's huge learnings from the first year. I think that we always sit down with the brands. It's really important before aligning on anything because what's your KPI from this product launch? Is it about selling out in seconds, in which case you could just do 15 and it will go within a second? Is it more about the long-term game on building a community, in which case we would do a cask like our bag where there was over 400 bottles and that sold out but it took a few weeks? That was one of our most successful launches. Or is it about the brand fame? In which case, is it around a huge collaboration like Usher and Remy Martin? So it just totally depends on what the objective is. But we always say, you know, it's never about selling out on day one. It's about the long-term value that you're bringing to this new audience that you've never had interactions with before. But we would guide them on that as well. Charlotte, the gifting aspect of Blockbar is really interesting, really innovative, and it's new. Can you just talk about that? We launched uh, digital gifting as a capability on the platform earlier this year, and we have seen huge demand for it. So many bottles have been gifted. So we've actually just launched a completely new gifting platform with the slogan that we call the gift that keeps on giving, right? The gift... (laughs) because we know it's an appreciating asset so we know we know that wine and spirits investments have outperformed gold and the S&P 500 right so there you go a bit of marketing spill for you um but look we as we're heading into the busy holiday season digital gifting is expected to account for more than 24.5 percent of all holiday shopping so we want to basically create all year round gifting for easy gifting worldwide and what we have launched is gift cards a corporate gifting division, so actually working with businesses to offer them dedicated account managers to consource and pull together gifted proposals of any budget and any taste from kind of champagnes, whiskies, cognacs, tequilas, wines, that also cover money can't buy experiences. Um, and also, you know, beyond gifting, we also take credit card now as a capability, as well as kind of accepting um, payments in dollars and, and wire transfer as well. So Charlotte, we always outro our, uh, our podcast with the same four questions. So the first one is, what irritates you the most about your industry? Non-believers in the future of blockchain. Because, uh, yeah, it's really interesting. And actually, not being stereotypical here, but what you find is it's the younger demographic of hugely talented um, individuals that work at these brands that are the ones that are adopting and, and really buying into Blockbar. And then we work with them to then upsell ourselves to the higher hierarchy from the kind of CMOs to CEOs that might be a little bit more traditional in their thinking um, to really win them over. So I'd say the non-believers, but I love a challenge. Like I'm such a hustler. That is my number one trait. So we'll never let it go. So they will. It's like my boss always says, Charlotte, like you're going to LVMH and everyone will know who you are because of course it shits you. <laughs> I wouldn't let anyone not reply to me. I think that's why they hired me. <laughs> 
So yeah, we, we like to convert them. Perhaps, perhaps slightly more philosophically, what most concerns you about the world that we're leaving to the next generation? What concerns me the most is that people are spending too much time online in the digital world and not interacting enough in the real, in real life because... It, it, it applies in two ways, right? Number one is I'm not really worried about Web3 because they love that IRL community element and that's what we love about our business. But also luxuries to be enjoyed in person as it is online. So I think there's so much we can offer you as a digital business. End of the day, you want to taste that liquid. You want to walk into Louis Vuitton. So I think it's just making sure that you're always pairing that kind of digital and that IRL together to basically have that seamless luxury experience. Can I sneak in an additional question? Because Charlotte, I know that you're a passionate advocate of um, women in the spirits industry, but especially women in Web3, where, uh, let's be honest, it's been a challenge. That's obviously something close to your heart. How we're creating a new legacy for the wine and spirits industry is what I want us to do with women in the industry. So I actually remember when I first took the job at Glenfiddich, I actually called my mum and I cried because it was the one brand that my grandpa bought he's not sadly not around anymore and I was like really proud that I was working on a legacy brand and that I was a female and 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 that was the biggest challenge was how can we change the perception and then what I realized when I was there it's an amazing business is that there's still quite a lot of prejudice when you looked at who was higher up in the organization and we actually lost in a hugely talented female from the business and I actually was in in a team I looked above and I was like oh everyone above me is men and I was like actually yeah, I'm actually in a male industry here and I loved it. I was like, I'm thriving off that. So then I came into this business and I thought, brands are finding it hard to talk to women. I'm never going to be able to create that legacy here. A block bar, I've got two amazing men that love to be bossed around by women. Another reason why I think they hired me. Um, and um, I can make a real change here. So they're really behind it. So we're building out a program. It's actually with a business at the moment, one of our partners. I want them to get behind it because it's going to have more clout. And we've got a number of foundations that we want to do. One is actually educating women about wine and spirits, also about Web3. Because I love to meet women that... I want them to excel their career like the opportunity that I've had. And I know that I've just been in the right place at the right time and actually met two awesome guys that really believed in my ability, which, to be honest, I've had before and maybe men haven't believed in it. So I want to empower them to be able to make a change to their career because I fully believe that Web3 is the future of luxury. And if you can get in the game now, then you're future-proofing your career and your business and your success. And the second one is I want to really build up our female community of collectors at Blockbar because, by the way, the most expensive are beg whiskey cask went for 60 million pounds to a female Chinese collector earlier this year so we know that there's avid women out there and the third one is about community and bringing women together to network with each other because when women network amazing opportunities happen and I think women would find tech hugely a barrier if you said to me a few years ago Charlotte you're going to work in tech I'd be like oh don't be ridiculous I know nothing about tech now I'm like simplifying the whole thing but I just feel like I've got a responsibility to go, and I say yes to any speaking opportunity, even though people might think, God, she's rubbish, I don't care, Um, because I want women to feel inspired and empowered that, like, I'm sitting up there, which, by the way, a year ago, I had no Web3 experience, and I've changed my career around, and I changed my prospects, and I remember it was our first birthday, and I wrote a card to my co-founder saying, like, it was like a spiel, like how thankful I was because I was like, you've literally changed my life and not just mine, but I now feel empowered to change other people's lives and I'm going off on a tangent, as you can tell, I'm hugely passionate but like, I really want to change and create a new legacy for women of any age to get into the industry, to make a change and also to feel like they can get into tech and I almost feel like I need to go to the UK government and say, come and hire me, like because I just don't think anyone's doing anything about it and I just really want to do that next year so we're going to build out communities in New York London and Asia, which is our 
our key hub. And we'll take it from there. But for me, I want to get the brand partners on board because if our brand owners get on board, we're going to make a huge, huge change. And it's not about launching on International Women's Day. It's about doing it all year round. So power the woman is what I have on my sweaty Betty socks. And that's why I tell myself every day. <laughs> Charlotte, thank you so much. That was brilliant. Thanks for your time and a really passionate simplification of the metaverse web3 and really practical use of innovation in luxury um, which is really understandable uh, and inspiring i think for us and so many others thank you very much thanks for having me <laughs> thanks so much for listening this has been what the lux you can find us on socials at matter of form and drop us any questions or comments on twitter using the hashtag what the lux and if you're a luxury brand looking for strategy or design that goes beyond the banal get in touch via hello at matterform.com and chat to one of our consultants and so until next time <laughs>